You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNBR Nuggets podcast, presented as always by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm flying solo as your host today, but I'm joined by who is one of, if not my single favorite writer on the interwebs covering the NBA, certainly somebody that writes the most interesting topics, right about the most interesting topics, including today, writing about mental health in a way that I just thought was absolutely fascinating. Uh, we're probably going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a lot about Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic. RSNs, the media, all of this, all of this stuff I think people find interesting. We'll find out. He is, of course, Ethan Strauss. Ethan, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I don't know. I don't know if I cover the uh, the NBA, but I'll take all of the compliments. <laughs> I cover something. Something. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing something over there on Substack. Uh, doing something well. So yeah, a success story of independent media here, you know, leaving, obviously left ESPN several years ago, left the athletic and then went out on your own. And it's a big success story here doing Substack. And in a lot of ways, what's interesting about you, you've always written, written, I think, good angles, but at, by your own admission, you're unshackled now having to <laughs> write for what maybe bosses want you to write about. You're diving into controversy. And it's funny, I say controversy. You're just writing into topics that are hard to write about when you write for an establishment. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And what's funny about it, something I've learned because I thought, oh, my God, people are going to be so angry at me when I started this and they're going to lash out. I think it happens in the public forum of Twitter to a degree. But the true measure of anger is often what you get in private. And I haven't really gotten a whole lot of that. Uh, that's that's when it's revealed, when people are actually seeking you out and privately expressing contempt as opposed to doing it for show on the basis of what they think the social norms are. Um, and I also learned something else, which is back when I wrote for bigger institutions, there would, and a lot of people might not know this, they don't know the uh, the behind the scenes of how media happens if they're a fan of the NBA, but I would often see a writer who had a big article and uh, it'd be a, just it just crushed. Let's say it's at the athletic; it racked up subs. You'd think that they would be happy, but in a lot of cases, no. They they were exhausted. They were haggard. And why? It's because somebody was in their ear yelling at them on the phone because they're pissed off. Because if something is interesting, it's typically interesting because someone doesn't want you to know about it. Mm. So maybe it's the GM. Maybe right. it's a player's agent. Maybe it's the NBA itself because they're very aggressive about monitoring the reputation. And that is what I found. I would get pressure. I would get yelled at. 
my bosses would be pressured. And there were certain pressure points. There could be insinuations. If it's an agent, it might be that, hey, not only will this player not be available to you, but maybe your colleagues at the place you work for will not get any of my players talking to them. Nothing like that has happened to me. Uh, it, it has just been complete radio silence despite wow. the site doing well, despite the site getting subscriptions. I'm sure there are people who hate me, but what it taught me is that the expression of anger towards you often has more to do with that person's uh, belief that they can pressure you and influence you and bully you mm. than it is just about the anger itself because nobody's trying me anymore because there's just no real pressure point. That's so fascinating. And I think it's true. I mean, we, you know, we're a startup here at DNVR and there's obviously we have our haters. We have our people, you know, that want to try to claim this or that about us. And I always say the same thing, like, hey, do we know who we are? Do we feel good about who we are? Yeah. You just got to keep moving because honestly, those people are just trying to like throw the stones or try to drag you into the mud or this or that. And oftentimes, you know, you just have to rise above it or keep going through it. And we're going to talk about some of that. So to get to let everybody know, I subscribe to exactly one Substack. It's House of Strauss. That, that is Whoa. Ethan Strauss's Substack. It probably says more about me. That's probably, I should probably not admit that. Um, I, I, I have subscriptions to other newspapers and outlets of this. But Ethan writes about Woj and the way the NBA media is sort of all centered around him and the influence he has on how stories get told, when they get told. He writes about clutch sports, the relationships with Nike. I mean, a lot of these behind the scenes things that really they go untold often, but they are so influential in what this league is and how fans experience it and how players experience it, to be perfectly honest. And I kind of want to dive into that. Kale, you could pull up the, the one thing I sent you. So Ethan, you have been around blogging. I mean, starting at blogging, like at the onset of blogging, but I know that one of your most famous moments here, I pulled this up. I'm sure you've been referenced this a lot. We go all the way back to 2014. You can scroll up, Kale, so everybody can see. Go back to 2014. Is this 14 or 15? I think it's uh, 2014 for the 2014, yep. 2015 season. Expert picks. We've all got the same people. Maybe it's the, the Lob City Clippers. Maybe it's KD's Thunder. Maybe it's the, the Cavs, the Spurs. And one person down here, Ethan Strauss, he predicted it would be the Golden State Warriors covering the Warriors at the time for ESPN. You obviously famously were early on this one. So I want to go back. I want to rewind the clock. And just kind of, first of all, take me back to 2014. What was Ethan Strauss's relationship to the NBA as a writer, as a fan, and and, and maybe setting the table for how it has evolved in the decade since? I'm trying to remember what would the flashback song be when we go back to 2014. It wouldn't be that Godier song. That was a couple of years <laughs> before it. Somebody in the chat, I believe, will come up with the ideal flashback song of 2014. So that year uh, was a few months after I was hired to be full-time beat writer covering the Warriors. I was showing up doing freelance, and I, I've got to thank uh, Royce Webb um, and Henry Abbott, who helped get me in the door. And I, I, I was told that I needed to quit writing for Bleacher Report because at that time, Bleacher Report had a stigma attached to it, less so now. Right. Um, and so they were kind of working me in, working me in with some freelance articles, and suddenly the Warriors were just so hot that they needed somebody covering them. And I was made full time, I think, in May of 2014, just simultaneous with Mark Jackson getting fired. It was basically mm. I was at the Bristol orientation. The uh, I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, yeah, maybe it's orientation, rookie, whatever, uh, as Mark Jackson's getting fired. So I immediately jump in. I write about the downfall of Mark Jackson. And so 
I was familiar with that team. And in preseason of the Kerr era Warriors, it was just shocking. It was shocking how different they looked just strategically the efficiency. And I know that you're not supposed to take stock of preseason, but I couldn't unsee what I was seeing. So that pick right there, I don't think that pick took any sort of genius. It was just, I was close to it. I would analogize it this way. There's so much fear um, when people are talking about a team they cover of seeming like a homer. You don't want to seem like a homer. Yeah, well, fair enough, but it's easier to, I always say it's easier to hear a car alarm if you're close to it. You're more (laughs) likely to pick up on this new trend if you're actually observing the team and around it. You probably knew that Jokic was a great player before other people knew that he was a legitimately great player, right? So I thought to myself, I think this team is the best chance to win the championship. And then I thought, I know I'm not supposed to say that. And then I thought, nah, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's basically my process on a lot of, <laughs> on a lot of the content, even when, it, whether it's some anodyne uh, team prediction or some more fraught subject, I've got a certain, I don't even know what to call it, a, a lack of discretion, or uh, some have called it a contrarianism, but it's almost like, the way I feel about it is almost like you've got this uh, pimple or a boil. Sorry for being gross, but it's just this pressure, <laughs> this pressure building up. It's like, I got to release this. I got to release this take. This take is it's building up. Uh, Warriors are going to the championship. And thankfully they did. All of my worst predictions have come from that exact phenomenon that you're talking about in reverse, where I'm like, I think I'm seeing this great thing. Like with Jokic, you mentioned it. Like, I'm like, this guy's incredible. Like, what can't he do? He, but and then I stopped. I'm like, I think he's like the best young prospect we've got. And then I sit yeah. there and think, I'm too close to it. I, I gotta <laughs> cushion this a little bit because I'm I'm sure it's just I'm a little blind. And then you turn out you're like, no, he is way better than Porzingis. What was I talking about? Of course he was. It was obvious mm. at the start. I just was too close. I got gun shy. I go back to 2014 for me personally because I just started out in 2013 or 14. I had a full time job. I was doing this as a, as a passion project or what have you. I was so optimistic about the state of so many things about the NBA. I mean, the analytics mm. revolution was sort of in full bloom and that we were thinking about the game. For me, I'm a basketball lover, first and foremost. I was thinking about I'm it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but it's very important. The flashback song would be Fancy by Iggy Azalea. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man, that's not, not that great of a flashback. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is not. Um, but I was, you know, the analytics revolution was in bloom. I'm thinking, how cool is this? I think I went to summer league in 2015 and I wrote what has aged as one of the cringiest things I've ever written in my life. I talked about how awesome it was of all of these bloggers and Twitter coming together. And like, we're all happy in this. It's like this bar where we all get to sit down and be buds. And, you know, eight years later, and it's like, oh my God, it's a hellscape. We're all yelling at each other. And the analytics conversation has reached its like lowest point and all of these different things. But I, I say that because it's funny. This is the last decade, like the rise of the Warriors and the rise and change of so many ways that fans engage with the media. To me, you kind of had a front row seat because the Warriors have been, you know, right there. And my first question is just, did, have has it ruined the fan experience for you? Mm-hmm. You've obviously become this great writer and, and done all these things analyzing it, but has it ruined it? Are you more removed from it now from a heart standpoint? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, You see how the sausage gets made. It it changes your relationship to it. But I always thought about 
I I prefer that the Warriors win than that they lose. And there's a taboo against admitting that when you are in media on the local right. level. You're supposed to be totally dispassionate. I'm just looking at this basketball game and I don't care at all about what happens. That's insane. I was able to uh, pay rent and eventually a mortgage because Steph Curry became a superstar and the Warriors won basketball games. The idea that I wouldn't care about the outcome. Right. I think it's okay to admit that you want a certain outcome and then you try not to let that screw up your analysis. 100%. And it just, it, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to go. I would prefer that this team wins. I would prefer that people in the Bay area are excited about basketball, which is a sport that I really like. And then I'm going to try to be dispassionate and say that they're doing this thing. Well, they're doing this thing. Not so great. Um, and yeah, eventually it does change your relationship to things. I think my wake up call was just, uh, when I was freelancing and Keith smart uh, stormed up to me after a press conference and started yelling at me for being critical of Monte Ellis. And I just was tripped out thinking, Whoa, it's like my television is yelling at me. This is so weird. I, I, I guess I'm making it sound like I showed up at Oracle stone in my twenties all the time, which maybe, but I, I um, it's, it got slowly beaten out of me, but I always loved that energy, that yeah. energy in the crowd. Um, there's nothing like it there's nothing like going to that game six between the warriors and the Cavs in the 2016 finals in quicken loans arena and they're playing in the air of the night by phil collins and the intro song like they do in cleveland yeah. and you're watching the concessioneers belting out the lyrics in unison everybody's nervous you can feel their nervous energy there's just nothing like that and that is the thing that i miss and it's the thing that i'll always be uh geeked up for regardless of however I feel about the state of the league. And that's something to me that's extremely sacred. And it's going to come back and later in the conversation when we talk about that, that very feeling that you're talking about 20,000 people kind of all on the same wavelength is, is, is something I think it's important for a city. Um, here's where I really want to get into the conversation though. And that is we saw the sports business journal had the local RSN ratings and, and we, we just know this from national television ratings and everything else. The Warriors dominate. This is the era of the Warriors. It's still going on. I mean, there's all these other things that are going on, but the Warriors are still king when you talk about local um, ratings, but also just like I go to the arena, I see who draws a crowd an hour before and who doesn't. And Steph Curry mm. still draws a crowd an hour before tip off. Um, how did they get this dominant? I know that sounds mm. like a simple question. Steph Curry, they won championships, but Lots of teams won championships. Lots of teams had dynamic player. They are so far above everybody else, in my opinion. How did they get to this point? Uh, Joe Lake is genius. No, I, I mean, that's <laughs> what you would want everybody to think. Um, I think it was a confluence of factors, obviously, uh, with a little dash of the unexpected. I think Steph Curry suddenly becoming a superstar after having been a beloved college basketball star it came out of nowhere and it was fun. He was a personality people liked. And I think people resonate to these teams that they see grow up before their eyes. And in a league that is shaken up so much and so many guys have uh, changed jerseys, the Warriors are still this identifiable brand that's been going for, God, I don't even know. Is it eight years now? Something eight or nine years, right? right. Where you've got Steph. Clay, Draymond, you know, that you you know who the Warriors are, you know who defines them. And that is so unusual. And for that to also exist, uh, in addition to having them have been just take off like a rocket ship uh in popularity 
Um, but yeah, there's something ineffable about the Warriors and why they connected so much and why they got so big and why uh, when I was around the team, Steph Curry's bodyguard said it, he felt like he was uh, he was the bodyguard for 1985 Michael right. Jackson. Right. Um, and I might reflect on it at some point. I might write a book uh, down the road because I wrote about uh, I wrote a book about the fall of the Warriors and the uh, collapse of the Tavon Durant dynasty but i didn't talk too much about how it all came to be and the insane resonance just because it felt like it was it, 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 there hadn't been enough distance there hadn't been enough space to really look back on it and think about it all but i i don't have a concise answer i mean it was awesome basketball people like three-point shooting it felt organic it seemed like the guys got along and finally maybe they're more than twice as popular locally than any team uh, because they are familiar and familiarity wins out. Some of those things you're mentioning, and by the way, the book is the victory machine, which I love. And I think I referenced every single day for about three months straight on this very show. Once it came out, there it is. Boom. Look at that synergy. Highly recommend it. Um, a, <laughs> I, I, I almost actually, I, I, I almost accidentally like grabbed Michael Lewis's book, <laughs> like held it up, confused people. Um, um yeah. And also launched in the most spectacular way. Everybody knows, I think, the famous sort of controversy with with Kevin Durant uh, calling you out or going after yeah. you in a presser. And then I think the next day you announced, oh, by the way, I'm writing a book, which I think <laughs> is one of the funny, funny moments in book launch history. Um, a lot of the things you mentioned about the Warriors, I think, apply to Denver. They have the most continuity, I think, of any team over the last seven years. And they have things working against them. I only bring up the Nuggets here to say that you're right that that's part of it. There's a big part of it that is, this yeah. is a team that we are familiar with and you have these things. But there's some other things, some other secret sauce that is going into this. Some of this is Steph Curry's play style. Some of this is the fact that, as you mentioned, he had a very interesting um, NCAA tournament run that kind of launched him as a household name. So there's all these other things. And I think that's what I want to dissect here in segment two and kind of get into why did they do it? And why are the Nuggets the exact opposite of that? When to me... Yeah. They have a great superstar. They're super fun. They've had the continuity there. There's all these different storylines and none of them connect. And that's yeah. kind of what I want to get into. I'm such a nerd for these conversations. I know some people dismiss it. It's cool among NBA writers to say, I don't care what gets ratings. I just like right. your right. basketball. I don't know. It's fascinating to see what the habits of the American public are and what they're really into. And these conversations are fun to me because we don't totally know all the time. And there's this alchemy to when it completely works. And yeah, Jokic is fun to watch. If you love basketball, he's fun to watch. But is it that he doesn't want attention? Is it that he's from a small-ish Eastern European country that we just don't have much of a reference point or way into? And it, it might connect to, I love the statement he had. Was it last night he was saying that um, scoring makes one person happy and assist makes two people happy? Uh, I loved that sentiment, but maybe that has something to do with why he hasn't resonated because that kind of team focus a little bit like Tim Duncan in another kind of way yeah. is partially explains his success, but might explain why he hasn't really been out there. So I, I like looking at those questions and saying, Hey, why is this a dog that doesn't bark? Why is this a dog that exactly. does bark? Because God damn it. The nuggets are fun to watch, but they do not move the needle. You're not hearing them discussed all too often on first take. 
the Tim Duncan comparison I hear a lot, and there's a lot to that, especially personality off the court wise, just the kind of like, hey, we're done with basketball. I'm don't don't interview me. I'm I'm going home. I'm not on Twitter. There's that. But I the, the also a stylistically a Larry Bird comparison, who is one of the most famous basketball players and beloved basketball players of all time. And we talk about fancy passing and sort of the edge you play with and this or that. There's a lot of that there, but again, connects in a completely different way. So why don't I hit my first break? I got to pay the ad money here, but on the other side, I'll get into that very question and compare and contrast Warriors Nuggets and, and some of the things going on there. But first, I got to remind everybody, the party bus this weekend that is going to Ball Arena, the DNVR takeover, sold out, and it is sponsored by Avaca TV. In the upcoming segment, we're going to talk about Altitude Sports and Comcast, the dispute that has sort of crushed the soul of the city of Denver. Avaca TV has come up with a solution of that. They're a totally new paradigm for TV delivery that's less expensive more efficient and offers a superior picture than legacy providers and service of course includes altitude sports delivering altitude sports to denver colorado springs phoenix boise and twin falls idaho here's what you do you go to avaca tv or i'm sorry avaca evoca evaca.tv slash dnvr and you get this deal 25 dollars per month plus the cost of the receiver which is 250 dollars up front 25 dollars. there's no contract no hidden fees and the price is locked in for two years and that 25 a month gets you access to the Nuggets, Avalanche, Rapids, and Mammoth Games, as well as a whole host of other channels, not just Altitude. It's a whole bunch of other things. And coming soon is AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain, which, of course, unlocks all of the rest of the teams here in Denver. So you get everything for $25 a month. There's a issue going on between Comcast and Altitude. They've ruined it. Evaca TV, a new paradigm, is coming up with a solution. So check them out. The other sponsor of the party bus this weekend, Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Everybody, all 100 people that are coming to Ball Arena for the DNVR takeover on Saturday, you're going to get free Breckenridge Breweries on the party bus. That's right. From the 15-minute ride from the DNVR bar to the arena, you guys are going to get Breckenridge Breweries, probably the Mile High City Copper Lager, the Denver-themed uh golden lager flavored beer that they have we have it on top at the dnvr bar we'll also have it in coolers on the dnvr party bus you can also check out the farmhouse which is down there in centennial socially distanced beautiful setup it's actually getting warm out you can watch the ducks in the pond while you eat wings uh check them out they've got great beers avalanche amber strawberry sky vanilla porter jr i hear it's coming back very soon i hope it's coming back very soon you can check all those out at the dnvr bar breckenridge brewery the official beer partner all right so Hopping back into that, um, always fun when you get to go on the local shows and hear all their local ad partners. I was so on the nose, Denver and its breweries. It's just it's exactly <laughs> exactly what you would expect. Of course, we've got uh, we've also got the dispensaries. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. we, it really is a cliche of of Denver mm. companies that we have here at DNVR. We're a true Denver company. Um, all right, so let's get into this. So Jokic, a couple things working against him. And again, I want to always think Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, Golden State Warriors, Denver Nuggets, and just com com compare and contrast these things. Jokic is very fun, but he didn't have the college aspect of mm -hmm. it. There's no like he arrived on the scene. Nobody knew who he was, including myself, including Denver Nuggets diehards. Didn't, didn't have a clue who this guy was. So he didn't have that momentum going into it. And I think that played a part of it. The part you mentioned that, that makes me cringe, but it's actually accurate. He comes from some place nobody knows of, which is crazy because Serbia is not like the most yeah. like crazy country. But even we know Shaq has talked, you know, tried to speak Russian to him. But I, I thought you were <laughs> Russian, this or that. I think this honestly has the biggest part of it. Americans don't know anything about anything, so there's no even the loosest connection to. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. There's no frame of reference. We just we don't we don't have it. Um, I mean, maybe we should. I'm sure it's a lovely 
place to vacation and it would be great to visit, but we just do not have that connection. And it is funny because sometimes there's a connection to a country and it's a big deal. And, you know, Jeremy Lin, for instance, who was American, but the connection to China for a period of time elevated his celebrity and elevated his stardom to a degree. So I think that's a big aspect. I laugh a little bit because the NBA had these uh, these grand visions, this grand neoliberal right. project so to uh, we're going to beat football because we're going to be international and we're going to get a superstar from China and a superstar from India. And, oh, my, we're just going to rack up the dollars around the globe. And in one of these, almost like when a genie uh, grants you the Faustian bargain, um, is that how it works? Does a genie do that? Well, somebody does it. The monkey's paw, whatever we want to call it. It's yes, you will be the most international of sports and right. your big stars from around the world will be from tiny Eastern European countries. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so they kind of deserve it for their greed. But again, these guys earned it, right? I mean, it's no knock on. It's no knock on Jokic. It's no knock on Luka. It's no knock on Giannis. These guys right outcompeted uh, the Americans in many instances. And then I, I look at it as, yes, that's part of the why, but then it's the NBA's responsibility to get these guys Probably. to transcend, to find a way to tell a story. I emphasize it sounds maybe hippy-dippy, but everything is story. We understand everything through story. Sure. And if the NBA isn't telling the story of why you should pay attention to somebody, um, they didn't have to when it came to Steph. Steph, it was sort of obvious and it just happened. But if they're not telling you the story of why you should pay attention to somebody, a lot of people are not going to be able to figure out why. And so I'm not sure what that story should be with the aforementioned players. I think they screwed it up with Giannis, uh, frankly. Definitely. Um, But they've got to figure out a way, and it's just not good enough to sit there and hope that these fantastic players of theirs uh, become insanely popular. It, comparing going back just kind of talking about the european thing like dirk is another close comparison but germany is a country all americans know like they americans yeah. know about seven countries germany's one of them yes. so serbia is not one of those ones so that's another contrast but to your point this is where it really gets interesting to me it is about the way the league markets itself and the most important people in terms of marketing it are the big name brands of course we're talking nike and gary yeah. and all those those big ones um, now, increasingly so, the agencies that have a big stranglehold on how the league markets itself. But the third part I would put in here, and, and maybe it's the biggest one in my opinion, is the league's main media partners. And when Shaq had Jokic on during his MVP season and spoke uh, Russian to him, that mm-hmm. was the league, even though it, and it went viral, by the way, like ble- everybody yeah. picked this up as like, look how funny this is. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, no, this is example A of a failure to tell a very compelling story and the most simplest yeah entry point to that story and we're laughing about how bad we are at doing this yeah yeah they should have sent them to wherever Jokic has those horses i i want that to be (laughs) part of the touchstone that the american public uh the american public has to him and i think he doesn't make it easy he is very reserved it's he he feels unknowable in a way so Mm -hmm. that's part of it but they've got to figure out this is this is someone you should pay attention to. It's that simple. It's like, here is why I need one sentence on why I need to pay attention to this guy. And they're not really doing that. It's, I don't know if it's that they don't know how. And I think a lot of it too. um, A lot of it, as you were saying is 
they kind of delegate it. They delegate it to the major sneaker yep. brands, especially. And the yep. major sneaker brands have an interest in a certain kind of player. And they're not really going to help you when it comes to the big men because big men typically don't sell sneakers. So it's almost on the NBA to fill that void yep. um, and make these big guys as popular, maybe not as popular, but approaching the popularity as the aforementioned Shaquille O'Neal, who uh, was that big guy who was just world famous. I watched the 20 uh the 2006 finals with the heat and the mavericks i had a buddy he had a friend she was from siberia and she i guess was in the international school at my college she sits down with us she doesn't know anything about sports she knows barely anything about the united states and she knew who Shaq was. She actually asked, uh, "Why is Shaq so big?" Which was an interesting question. I <laughs> didn't have a, it. Did have a great. It did have a great answer to it. But uh, that's that's what they have to do somehow. And I I'm sympathetic to a degree. There are things I criticize about them. I don't think that this is one of the easier things. But it just seems like they also haven't been doing it. It's difficult to hit a target if you don't aim for it. I think there's a couple things at play with with this with regards to the media. I mean, we're about the same age. We grew up with NBA inside stuff. And yeah. some of the, like, there was just less media to be consumed. So it was easier to say, like, okay, we're going to do things this way. Because if it's good or bad, doesn't matter. People are going to tune in on Saturday. It's the only NBA show to watch. But what they did is Ahmad Rashad would go to, oh, we're going bass fishing with big country Brian Reeves. And yeah. next week we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to ride horses with her. Whatever. You just went in and we're like, this is a guy. This is what they like to do. Here's what practice is like. And it's just, this is why it's interesting. And I think that when you have this sort of big picture, we're growing the league and we're telling these stories without competition, there's something there. Competition with the media, with, with social media now, it's instantaneous. And I always laugh when people say, we play the Lakers so much because they do ratings. They do ratings. And I always think, yes, but ratings are in decline. Yeah. Yeah, but they go up just a little bit in their downward <laughs> spiral every time we we play that yeah. Lakers note. They kind of take a little bump. And I sit here and I think <laughs> you're looking at short-term trends for solutions yeah. to a long. It's a, that's a with problem. it's a withdrawal. It's not an investment. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly yeah. what's happening. So for me, it's this. I'm oversimplifying things here because I I, I mean you're gonna hear I'm a little salty about it, but it's like we've gone from the Ahmad Rashad storytelling to now the Nick Wright arguing about whether or not Jokic is the fifth yeah. or sixth best player, and it's like. What, what does it matter? Why is this the way we're framing the stories that we're telling? Well, or we're just not even telling stories at all. I'm maybe a 1990s nostalgist at heart, but I, I think, again, storytelling is powerful. And those Marv Albert, Bob Costas yes. intros to big games, NBA and NBC, why don't they do that? It, right. it would take, what, like two minutes to set the stage? I always use the example. I mentioned the uh, just incredibly exciting 2016 NBA finals. It was so bizarre to me when I was invited on, uh, I think it was the chase down podcast. Uh, they did this really cool thing where they watched every one of those finals games and they would have a guest to relive one of them. I had never watched any of those games on television because I was there covering oh, yeah. it. Uh, I mean, I would see the synergy, whatever, right. whatever, right. but I, w I watched the broadcast and I was completely just, dumbstruck by how this epic event that i'd experienced in real life was drained of a lot of what made it feel interesting and exciting as a tv product it mm. was almost like they were trying to make it worse they didn't have an intro uh building up to these epic clashes between the warriors and Cavs. instead they had 
the roots and hey i like the roots the roots are cool to concert but they were kind of phoning it in and yeah. they were doing this these weird songs I, I remember they they were using this motif as the number two and they were going two two games da, 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 yeah. da, da. like Kyrie is the number two and it's just what purpose <laughs> the, like whose idea the meeting is this what purpose does it serve and then you watch the broadcast and jeff van gundy totally distracted all over the place they pan to a dying craig sager and i, I mean I, I don't have any objection to that but mark jackson starts rambling about i don't want people to tell me good things about myself after I'm dead, I want them to tell me it while I'm alive. And it's, these are things that are happening in a close game six elimination game, sometimes in the fourth quarter. And it's just, holy shit, nobody that's part of this operation has any interest in it being successful. And so yeah. I think a major problem, and you mentioned, you mentioned Nick Wright, but he's not working for the broadcast partner right, um, right. and he's doing Correct. his thing. But it's it's the broadcast partner. The problem is ESPN. ESPN cheapens everything it touches almost. Yeah. It makes things seem worse. And perhaps this was a Pennywise pound foolish move by the NBA when they shocked everybody in the early 2000s, leaving NBC for ESPN ABC, because while that was a very alluring option to get on the big cable channel uh, like they did, it seems like those people over there don't know how to do sports television. They don't know how to build up a sense of gravitas and grandeur. And I think they've undermined the product, even in times when it was at a post Jordan peak, such as 2016. And the, you get all the stuff you're talking about the NBA, they are selling cool as much as anything. And when you're trying to be cool, this is why when you have the roots and we're doing the number and we're doing this, it's like, hold on. We don't need to be cool right now. The game is so no. cool. Like this, the stakes are so high. It's inherently cool what we are doing and what's going on and and all the drama there. But we don't need to make it cooler. It's actually already there. And I think this is what's step. I mentioned earlier, Steph being the face or the Warriors being the face, not on purpose. I think the NBA wanted LeBron and still does plays as if LeBron was the protagonist. Even though I think fans engage as if Steph Curry is the protagonist of it. There's obviously both both people. But yeah. some of this has to do, I always think back to LeBron returning to Cleveland. If you remember when they play in the piano, I'm coming home and he steps yeah. up and he's like, I'm not going to do what people say. And it just, it felt so weird. Like, yeah, like we're trying to so so contrived. Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the family guy, when Peter says he doesn't like the Godfather because it insists upon itself, which <laughs> is the joke. And he's being absurd in that scene. But yes, that is a thing that happens that you are insisting upon yourself and you are telegraphing every move and it just doesn't it doesn't feel real and i think part of the problem honestly is that athletes are not great at doing the storytelling yep. and not just athletes i think anybody struggles with that we don't have enough separation we often don't know what's interesting about ourselves so true. or we want to hide interesting aspects because we want to portray uh, portray ourselves as, as something else. And you've seen that with the players uh, tribune where there are some good articles, but for the sure. most part that didn't, wasn't really a hit. It's not something that people think is uh, a necessity in their lives as sports fans. So um, yeah, I think again, you've got to take the reins. You've got to do the storytelling because if you're going to leave it to LeBron uh, as Nike does, because he has so much influence within that company, uh, he's going to do a really bad job of it, which is what he's done. He makes terrible ads for the most part. 
Um, and I think if anything, he is just less popular despite maintaining an impossible standard of excellence. And I, my, the funniest article I think that you've done at House of Strauss certainly hinges around the LeBron Ruffles commercials. Oh and, yeah, and some of those. Like I, I, I mean, I laughed so hard when I first got through the SNL sketch, um, and, and you contrast it to the Ruffle one. You think, oh my God, they're the same thing. Um, <laughs> so if you guys become, if you subscribe to House of Strauss, read that article first. It was too funny. Um, this is another part of it: is athletes trying to tell their own stories? We have all these different people that are just like inflicting their own perspective on this none of which is all that compelling and you can correct i'm so curious if you agree or disagree with this i feel like steph curry while he certainly tries to tell his own story almost seems i mean certainly in comparison to lebron but i think in comparison to most nba athletes seems content to let the story be like i remember when his shoes came out everybody roasted the i don't remember steph curry threes or whatever and he kind of like got in on the joke a little bit it's just kind of yeah this is all right we're making fun of myself today and I just wonder if that's also part of the appeal is it just feels more authentic with him in comparison well, to these other ones. Yeah. And he certainly tries to brand himself, but this gets at, again, it's this ineffable, these ineffable qualities and why it's fun to talk about this stuff. If you are of a certain mind of why is this resonant? Why is that resonant? Um, people can smell security. They yeah. can, they can, they can smell it on you. They know when you badly need them and need their love and approval and these bastards, all of us in the public, we withhold it when that happens. We don't give it to you when it seems like you want it. But if you don't seem like you need it, like I would say uh, pre-injury Clay Thompson might have been the epitome of this. Yeah. Oh, everybody just loves Clay. This guy doesn't, he doesn't care at all. He barely wants us around. Oh, we love you, Clay. We love you. And I think LeBron in, in a lot of the cloying, uh, social media posts, uh, just the contrived nature of the way he's often trying to get attention. Uh, he would have been much better off if we just knew less about him. And in some ways, it yep. feels like we don't know a tremendous amount uh, about Steph. And it seems like Steph isn't interested uh, in us knowing more about him. And that that seems to uh, that seems to help him in a way. It's just this kind of magnetism of uh, security versus insecurity. Kevin Durant's an, a really interesting one in this way to me, and you're obviously have been a lot closer to the situation, but you know, Katie is, was in my opinion, among the more insecure athletes that we've had over the last bit, but there was maybe being outed with the, the burners yeah. and, and just some of how much not, I don't want to say vitriol, he, but he, how, he, he was like the most authentic, authentically insecure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But he just lost last year in a game seven overtime in a playoff series. And I don't feel like anybody rightfully holds that against him in the way that we might have before it because it was like that was an awesome series that was an awesome game he didn't win but so what it was yeah. like and, and i don't there's almost something freeing about that and i wonder if he has sort of turned a corner personally in that regard he might have i think sometimes it helps to go through certain forms of adversity I'm not around him. God knows he doesn't yeah. like when I psychoanalyze him. Sure. Um, so, but it, it, it does seem like he has settled down um, in that respect to a degree. Uh, it was, it's so interesting because it almost seems like Steph's sense of security was part of what allowed him to be great, that he had such confidence that he could be such a giver uh, and such a teammate in the way that he was. And Kevin Durant's insecurity, I do think, helped fuel the greatness. I mean, we tell mm. that story about Michael Jordan that he's got something wrong with him right. that allows right. him to be a competitive maniac, that he's cheating 
at cards against your grandma. Uh, well, I think for KD, there was a void in him and he wanted to show how great he was and he wanted to get that adulation and it meant a lot to him. And he probably would have been great regardless just because he's so talented. But I do think that that was part of the story. And it's one of the reasons why I felt like it's good to tell that story. People are fascinated by success. They want to know why it happens. So when I'm writing about KD and I'm talking about some stuff he doesn't want me talking about, I certainly get it from his perspective. I get it. I, I wouldn't like somebody writing about my flaws. But those flaws are part of that story that people want to know about, which is how does this guy rise from just this desperate situation he grew up in to become one of the greatest basketball players ever? I think that the insecurity was part of that. And it's a to me, it's one of the more fascinating stories. I think Giannis is is an, another ex great example of this. What did he have to do to win a championship? He had to make free throws. The thing that he hasn't been mm -hmm. good at, and he went 19 of 19 or something in the decisive game in route to helping the team win. And I think watching Giannis last year, you saw this freeing of what is it people say about me? What is it? It was almost like this is a challenge between myself and myself. Like, can I yeah. be the best of myself? And whether you win or lose, you know, it'll lead you to greatness when you sort of focus on those things. And I feel at least again, I'm playing pipe psychologist here. I know we always get in trouble here, but it's a story I like to tell myself about KD that I feel like he is maybe arriving closer to that point after thinking if I get the championships, that's going to do it. Or if I do this, like yeah. people, then people are going to see it and they're going to anoint me. And it's like, Hey, I don't need that. I'm going to anoint myself through, through, you know, just pushing myself to be the best. There's yeah. the, do you remember the old, commercial is actually a great one it's funny that it was carmelo anthony but it was john thompson reading off championships don't equal greatness scoring titles don't equal greatness all these things only greatness equals greatness and it was mm. and i just loved it because it's like yes this is actually sports we do the championship piece hangs over everything because it needs yeah. to we have to have it but it's always a battle of an individual against themselves and a team yes. against themselves yes I, and that that's what was so beautiful about Giannis just repeatedly going to the free throw line yep. if i miss i miss yep. but i'm not changing my route of attack i'm not going to shy away i'm not going to give into fear as some players do uh that's inspirational we can't be seven feet tall and able to euro step from the half court line and dunk but that's something everybody can relate to uh looking at just something that is uncomfortable something that tests your metal and taking a deep breath and doing it anyway um, on the small, pathetic scale. Right. Uh, I last week, Nate Duncan said he could teach me how to ski passably from never having skied in my life. I find it terrifying. I realized driving with Nate that he's got a need for speed and maybe I don't have that within me. Wow. Right. I'm yeah. not going to love it. I'm not going to love it out that, there. By the way, about Nate Duncan, he's a fast driver, huh? Uh, yeah, he's an efficient <laughs> driver is a, how I think you would put it. Okay. Um, but you know, I go, I go out there with him. I fall on my ass a bunch of times. There are certain moments where he tells me to do something and I'm looking down at a slope and I'm, I'm scared shitless, yeah. but I take a deep breath and I do it anyway. And God, it's just, it's just a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling to be scared, to, uh, get out of your comfort zone and to just go through it almost regardless of whatever the result is. And so I think that 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 inspirational aspect of sports of facing adversity 
uh, is something that people can relate to. And it almost seems like we're trying to protect the players from that element um, a lot of the time right. and uh, have there be no adversity and no criticism other than right. the silly criticisms that you'll see on these debate shows. And so, yeah, I mean, I went off on a whole tangent there, but I think um, I think that it, that is something that is uh, very much resonant. It's part of the Michael Jordan story of getting his ass kicked by the Pistons. And that is a story, as much as we can tell it, that we should be telling if we're interested in selling basketball as a sport. We'll take our final break here to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. So your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. DraftKings Sportsbook customers also bet on college hoops with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR. Bet just $5 on any college hoops team to win. $200 in free bets if they do. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I think Jokic is on par with Giannis, with Steph, with all of these guys. It is sort of innate in just who he is. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's something he's learned or how he was raised or people around him or what have you. I honestly don't think Jokic cares about the outside perspective. And I know that every yeah. athlete says this. I think Jokic is uniquely insulated. Does he care? Of course. Like if somebody shows him this or this. But I think he's so content to be like, hey, so-and-so said he's the MVP, not you. He's like, oh, he might be, man. Yeah, that's he's a good player. <laughs> Somebody said you guys should – you got swept by the Suns. Like, yeah, man, they kicked our ass. That was – yeah, we were not – it's just like – to him, he's like, you guys can talk about this stuff. For me, I'm content with exactly who and what I am and how well, hard I well, work can we, to be that. Can we get into that? Because maybe that's one of the reasons why he's not connecting is that he's a genius at this game, but it doesn't seem like he needs it necessarily. Um I don't know how to think about it. I, I don't know if we've ever seen anybody like this. It's almost like as far as offensive impact, I know he does, he plays very much unlike Shaquille O'Neal, but he's right. almost similar in just offensive dominance every night with maybe some defensive issues, but offensive dominance every night. And it just seems like you, you don't know. You don't know what's going on inside his head. It almost feels like I'm not trying to offend the, the fans of the Nuggets here, it almost feels like he's one of those seven footers who didn't choose basketball sure. and didn't love it, except he's incredible and he might be the best player in the league. He's he's goodwill hunting. I mean, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's, like, he's a genius. That that scene where he's like, you think this is hard for me? Like, this is the easiest thing. I don't know why you can't do it. And I, mm -hmm. I think he's sort of like that. I think he loves basketball. I don't want to. He works incredibly hard. Um, it's what a sneaky thing about him that he is probably the hardest worker on, on the Denver roster. Mm. And and it doesn't get publicized. He doesn't push and promote that thing, those things. But he has a drive in him. But I think you're right that, and he said this himself. It's not my favorite hobby. You know, I've, it's up there, but it's not my absolute favorite. Horses are his favorite, and I actually think he retires in about five or six years. I think. Wow. He, I don't think he does the. Once he is no longer the best player, I don't think he hangs on for those additional five six years as the sidekick and then ultimately the the veteran. I just think he's like, hey, man, this was a really good run. I'm going to go raise my kids with my horses and and, hmm. and, have, and have a good time. And who could be upset about that? Um, 
but he does. I, I do think though that he is just sort of content with, and some of this is cultural. Uh, you've traveled abroad. Have you traveled abroad before? I mean, yeah, I mean, not extensively, come, but yeah. <laughs> but you just know when you come back sometimes from going to like Italy or something, or just how much advertising there is in the U.S. And you're kind of like, oh man, yeah. I didn't realize there was. I'm constantly bombarded with this type of selling. And I think Jokic feels very much the same way of like, you guys don't realize you're always selling something out here and you want me mm. to like speak to a, something you're trying to sell. Like, I don't know, man, you guys do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a different culture in Euro, Euro ball, right? Yeah. Uh, it's less individual. All the cliches are true. Um, I, I think, wasn't it Luca who was talking about why it's, it's so much harder to drop 30 points, yep. 40 points in, in Euro league versus in the NBA. And so I think, I think that's part of it, that there's a bit of a cultural disconnect. And I always liked thinking about it. I, I always loved when the Oklahoma City Thunder teams, that 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 incredibly talented uh, OKC team of KD, Harden, and Westbrook would go up against that Spurs team because it did feel like American individualism right. up against Euro socialism, right? And it was both, both styles were captivating. Of both course. styles were great. It was, uh, it was incredible theater to watch how Harden and Durant and Westbrook went up against the Spurs and how the Spurs were very much more, more like a European team where sharing is carrying a lot of passing. And so it is a cultural difference. It is a stylistic difference. And I do think perhaps that informs why uh, the public hasn't been able to catch on to the whole Jokic thing. What I think is funny, this could be true of politics as well, but just keeping it to basketball. What's funny is this is kind of a false dichotomy. It's rarely yeah. one or the other. No. It's what can you learn from both things that sort of create a confluence of the perfect basketball, the perfect player or what have you. And that that's what's so funny to me is there is these like a lot of things. You know who bridged this gap? And I actually think it's a sneaky I think the world, this conversation would be framed so different. In the last two years of the NBA, with regards to Giannis, Luka, Jokic, it would be so different. Kobe Bryant bridged that gap. Yeah. Because he was an American player who had this soft spot in his heart for just foreign players, obviously from his upbringing and, and from other things. But it's not lost on me that he made two MVP predictions, Giannis and Jokic. He's so mm -hmm. far undefeated from since making those uh, predictions. And I just think if he were around these last two years with the rise of Giannis, the rise of Jokic, I just think he could almost single-handedly change the conversation of like, no, you guys are missing the point. This is the yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, that's fat. I had never thought about that. But in a way, he could be an ambassador to those guys, especially since he was supposed to be on the, I believe it was the Turner set. And it would have mm. been great to see Kobe on television. Um, and I think he's somebody that could have connected with the public and, and told that story. So that's just one of the many unfortunate aspects to the uh, great tragedy that happened. But I think that I think that you're right, that they almost need an ambassador or an emissary uh, to explain some of these guys. Less so with Giannis. Giannis feels knowable. You know what I mean? That just feels like a botched job. That just feels like uh, mm. Nike. Nike didn't know what they were doing. It could be. We got to get to this Comcast altitude thing. How familiar are you with the, the dispute here? No. So, okay. So I want it uh, explained because, so I obviously I look at the local ratings and I look at the national ratings <laughs> yeah. and I was aware that there was a dispute 
that was preventing a ton of people in Denver from watching the Nuggets. And so I would kind of factor that into the analysis. But I don't know the nature of the dispute. And it's bizarre to me that it's gone on as long as it has. So if you could tell me, I'm, I'm sure the quick overhead of this is that Comcast is the largest cable provider in Denver by quite a bit. I think they make up over two thirds of the Denver metro area that, for their cable service. They're also the best cable provider just in terms of ease of use and what have you. Um, they stopped carrying uh, Altitude, the regional sports network owned by the Kroenke family. It's a unique RSN because usually these are like NBC. They're part of this yeah. conglomerate. Altitude is a one-off. They cover just Denver sports teams. Um, so they are a little bit more vulnerable sort of to Comcast saying, hey, it's not worth what you guys have traditionally thought. We're just not that interested. If we lost you, it would hurt you guys significantly more than it would hurt us. We have all the leverage here. And they were right. Um, Comcast or KSE, Crunky Sports and Altitude dug their heels in and said, well, if you're not going to do this, we're not going to budge. And so mm -hmm. we are now approaching the third straight year where anybody in Denver that has Comcast, it's blacked out. You can't watch the games at all. And of course, that is an enormous barrier of entry. Are there other, can you go to yeah. Direct TV or one of the Evoca TV as we now have as a sponsor of the show? You know, can you go to those? Yes, but inevitably there's going to be this barrier of entry. So this is the, the, the the big picture of it but we're starting to see these carriage disputes pop up around the country now and that cable like everything else they're just looking at the big picture and they're saying hey these things are becoming less valuable as there's more media outlets so we actually need to cut and and sort of specialize in the things that are bringing us the most value and i just wonder is this sort of the future that the the old way of distributing these games through local rsns is not just dying, but probably already dead. And we're just waiting for, for everybody to realize. Well, to give you uh, another uh, newsletter recommendation, since you have blessedly <laughs> signed up for one, uh, Stratechery by Ben Thompson, yeah. where he covers the tech scene and business in depth. He has gone in great detail on the RSN situation. And yes, it does seem like the RSNs are dying and that the NBA, uh, I think the Thompson, I'm just going to butcher whatever his prediction is, but he thinks that, yeah, they'll be fine when it comes to national deals. Look at a, another big deal because it's so valuable to ESPN and Disney to continue to have the NBA product, but where they're going to get it in the neck is going to be, uh, is going to be on the local level. It's going to be the shrinking of RSNs. I know yep. they cut some recent deal. Uh, to sort of uh, stem the bleeding there. Um, I don't have a good explanation of what's going to happen. It does feel like the RSNs, they do seem like they're of a bygone era already. It does feel like watching public access, but totally. it seems like somebody should have stepped in in the situation. You just explained an aspect of it that I hadn't really thought about because it. do you wonder if maybe ego is part of this because it's the Cronky oh, kind of mom and pop shop and it would have been a situation where cooler heads would have prevailed if it wasn't wrapped into being the family product and so you just you you wish somebody was able to intervene because you can't you can't have this uh, denver was already operating from a bit of a disadvantage since it's such a broncos town as you well know and to have to have the basketball team as it's rising and exciting not seen by so many people locally you just can't have it and you can't have it go on for this long. I wish I was smarter about how to solve it, 
but it, it, it's revealing of something. It's revealing of some sort of inefficiency or something malfunctioning to have this happen. Well, full disclosure, I mean, I think about this stuff a lot, and I know you do as well. But obviously, now I'm a partner here at DNVR. We now have PHNX in Phoenix and CHGO in Chicago. And our plans now, it's the, the word's out. We're trying to go to every city. We try to replace a little bit of RSNs. And not because we hate RSNs, just because there's an opportunity. The internet has freed the pregame and postgame. We now do pregame shows. We do postgame mm -hmm. shows. And as, to your point, is it a bit antiquated to say, hey, let's go to the guy in the suit for 30 minutes? So it's a team-sponsored company to go for 30 minutes to hear what they say. Maybe people just want to sit on a couch with their buddies and and yeah. and do this. And not so me. I, I want the mellifluous sounds of Bob Fitzgerald saying, <laughs> yes, sir, and complaining that uh, a guy in the other team is making wide-open three-point shots as though it's an active catastrophe and an act of right, God. Right. But anyway, you were, you were, you were saying, I'm sorry. I, I, had, to, I, just I had to proclaim my love for Bob Fitzgerald to the world. <laughs> I just think there's the media landscape is evolving so quickly. Very few people see around the corner of it. And I just trying myself to look at my own habits and obviously to see the habits of our audience. And I think, yeah, this stuff just doesn't have a prayer. Like there's yeah. too many other ways to entertain yourself in the way that an RSN typically would that I just don't see how they can compete. We extrapolate this five years, 10 years, two years. I don't know. Eventually, yeah. this is coming for everybody. And so I just wonder if the NBA, I think the NBA has an obligation to look at this and say, this is a problem. It's strangling certain fan bases in little pockets around the country. And is this horrible for our business? And it comes back to what you said earlier about the 20,000 fans in the arena and the feeling you get when the, when uh, Phil Collins comes on the, uh, the PA. <laughs> <laughs> The Nuggets just hosted the Boston Celtics. That was a Celtics home game at Ball Arena. Mm. They mocked Nikola Jokic every time he missed a shot, chanting MVP uh, in his own home arena, just as wow. sort of this like FU. And it's been this way for 10 years, but it just feels like every year it goes a little further, just a little bit further. Now, a couple things. Denver is an incredible city. Everybody's moving here. It just won't stop. House prices have quadrupled in the last 10 years. It's just no. every, every, everybody's moving here and we are an incredibly friendly people. We're very accommodating to when people come here. So part of it is just like forces beyond everybody's control. But part of me thinks people move. It's so easy to move cities now. And it's so easy to move cities and hold on to your old city in some virtual way. Like, hey, I'm a Celtics mm. fan, but I moved to Denver. Still watch the Celtics, still go to the Celtics bar, still get to go to the arena and be with Celtics fans. And I just wonder, are we losing this in little cities that we don't realize? Denver's not a small city. It's mm. a big city. Are we starting to lose this and we don't realize that that thing that brought all races, cultures, age, religions together under one banner, is that now gone? And is this yeah. an important thing that we're losing? We're less provincial. Uh, it seems like we had thicker accents back in the day than today because if you're a person of a certain education right. level, you just kind of, you have a, I don't think my accent is all that differentiated from your accent. I mean, sure. I can dip into my San Diegan if I really want to. But I don't think it's all that differentiated. And so it just seems like there is less of a sense of community in these cities. Certain cities, it's really it's really in there. And um, I think Pittsburgh seems – I love what Pittsburgh does, by the way, as a random aside, where all the teams have the same yeah, color same. scheme. Yep. I, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. And um, I think ultimately you might take the edge off that sense, that provincial sense in a city with all the movement. But it's never going to go away. And I think the NBA erred 
in trying to swivel around that and fast forward too much to the future and say, people are just going to follow players. They're just going to follow right, individuals. Right. They don't need the guys to play for any particular team. They're going to be just, ex just as excited about Kawhi Leonard as a spur as when he's on the Clippers. That's not how it works. That's right. not how people relate to basketball. Um, they are into teams. And a lot of the reason why they're into teams is that the team is in the city that they're in. Now, I think you could maybe make the teams a little bit more transcenders of barriers just by promoting certain teams, promoting certain brands, just like how I, as somebody who doesn't watch soccer, I know about Barcelona. I know about right, Real right. Madrid, right? So you could do a little more of that. I just don't think we're ever going to, we're never going to totally get rid of the city as kind of the fulcrum of team affiliation for fans. And frankly, I wouldn't want us to, I, I think that's how it should be. I like that there are different course. cities with different cultures. Of course. But that's the part I, I just worry about. Like, and I'm seeing it here in many ways. It feels like ground zero because Denver is not the small market. It's big enough that there are so many people coming here from other places, but small enough that like ESPN is yeah. not going to de dedicate a show to them or a page on mm. their website to the, 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 the Denver index, the nuggets <laughs> index or anything like that. So it's what, would it, what would you, what would it even be called the hops index? Like, what I are you going with? We'll have to think of something clever here, but I, yeah. I, I, it wouldn't get much traction. I know that it wouldn't, it would not be a banger. Um, yeah. but I just, I, I just worry to me, it's actually something pretty important when we talk about how fragmented cities are becoming. And, and I mean, even the city of Denver over the last five years, but especially 10 years has changed a lot in ways, both interesting and exciting but also in ways that are pretty concerning. And I sit here and mm -hmm. I think, is the city losing a little bit of that, of its collectiveness, its soul to yeah. it? And what role do sports, even if it's very, very small, what role does that play? And what are all the forces that are sort of profiting off the, it doesn't matter if they're wearing green or mm -hmm. Lakers yellow and purple. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. As long as they're in the seats where it's a success. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, I think it does. Somebody in the chat, Joseph says, come to Philly. Uh, I did a podcast with Spike Eskin and he said, and I hadn't thought about it, that Philly is this unusual large city because almost everybody in Philly is from Philly, right? It's not <laughs> right. a place transplants flock to. People right. ignore it on their way to D.C. from New York and on their right. way from New York to D.C. They skip right past. So that has allowed Philly to have this really intense, uh, caustic sports culture. Um, and that's really cool. I don't, the one I don't understand, I don't understand how Boston has maintained that sense of provincialism because they have to be getting people coming there from all over the country with all their colleges and everything else. And yet they've maintained that, that very um, dedicated sports culture. These are big questions, man. I mean, these, these questions are bigger than basketball, how to, how to rebuild a sense of community, how to right. make people feel connected to one another on the basis of proximity. What a quaint right. concept. What right. was once the building block of civilization right. is this now antiquated thing because we think we're just going to plug our brains into the metaverse. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm sure Ticketmaster gets some sort of uh, extra cut from the transplants needing to show up for their favorite team. Right, in the, right. uh, it, but I, I don't know. I can't answer these things, but these are great questions. This is the Bill Simmons, I think, with Boston. It's the one, they're just meaner there. I mean, I mean this sincerely. Like, yeah. it, it is a place where people are a little grouchier. Like, you got to be on your toes. You got to be ready for a fight. A lot, of sar lot of sarcasm, yeah. So somebody comes in and says, hey, man, you mind if I turn the TV to the Lakers game? They're saying, fuck you, get out of here. Whereas yeah. in Denver, yeah. I think it's more of a like, oh, you want to throw a Lakers party at my bar? Of course, bring your friends. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we're going to set you up. And then also just the cold weather thing. Like this is cold weather. Everybody's a little bit more edge. Colorado is 300 yeah. days of sunshine. It's like California light. Everybody's just happy and accommodating here. And I think it's part of it, but lots of forces at play. Ethan, we got to wrap up our hour. This was great. I honestly, we could do a whole nother hour. There were so many things I have left on the, on the note board here. So maybe at some other point we can, we can reconvene, but I really appreciate it. It was, it, this was a great discussion. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I don't know what you do to get the commenters you get. Everybody is just in the scroll saying reasonable, happy things. Is this the internet? <laughs> Have I died I'm and gone to you. heaven? This is, it's a couple things. Mostly though, it's just, it's Colorado, man. We're, we're, yeah. we're happy. We're chill. I think Colorado is chill. We're all, we're all medicated and uh, we got an IPA and we're just like, Hey, I disagree politely with you. Well, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Would love to come back anytime and uh, good luck. I'd love, I'd love to see a Denver championship. I'm now I'm, now I'm pandering. I'll stop pandering. To your audience. <laughs> well, when you're in town, you could really pander. When you're in town, you have to come visit our bar, the DNVR bar. It is, uh, it is, is the heart of the city of Denver, in my opinion. So thanks so much. Everybody check out House of Strauss, the podcast, House of Strauss, the Substack, and everything else and the victory machine as well. I'll plug that as well because I love the book. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next Thank time. Thank you.